Hello, this is Jackson Meredith, and this is Lunk News for the month of November 2010. Lunk News reports news that is of importance to the working class and the global class struggle. Starting off with local news, many of you have seen a billboard in downtown Lincoln on 10th and L Streets that is critical of the animal welfare organization Humane Society of the United States. This billboard is put up by a group called Humane Watch. What not many people know is that behind Humane Watch is a group called the Center for Consumer Freedom, a fake consumer advocacy group created by multimillionaire and DC lobbyist Richard Berman. The Center for Consumer Freedom takes in millions of dollars in corporate money each year as payment for slandering groups which may hurt their bottom line. Through its dozens of front groups, CCF has attacked Mothers Against Drunk Driving, the Center for Disease Control, several anti-smoking groups, environmental groups, and animal welfare groups. The intention of this anti-humane society billboard is to smear Humane Society of the United States in order to prevent the introduction of animal welfare reforms in large corporate-owned factory farms, reforms which corporations feel would hurt their profits. The billboard erected downtown makes the claim that HSUS only shares 1% of their donations with local shelters, despite the fact that the Humane Society of the United States does not claim to fund local shelters. In regional news, more than 60 anarchists, anti-fascists, Catholic workers, communists, and everyday people from Iowa City and Des Moines, Iowa, as well as Omaha, Nebraska, and elsewhere, converged in Des Moines, Iowa on Saturday, November 20th to protest a scheduled White Pride Day rally organized by the American National Socialist Party based in Chillicothe, Ohio. Although a few suspected white nationalists were seen driving around the perimeter of the Iowa State Capitol, where the fascist rally was supposed to be held, none apparently had the guts to get out of their cars and risk a confrontation with the large mob of anti-fascists. The Des Moines Police Department, Polk County Sheriff's Department, and unknown federal law enforcement were all monitoring the scene, and some anarchists suspect that at least three men who attended the counter-protest were probably undercover law enforcement officers due to their appearance and behavior. The counter-protest was organized on less than two weeks' notice, mostly using social networking sites and word of mouth, and was generally considered a victory for the loosely affiliated anarchist movement in Iowa. Moving on to national news. An anti-genital mutilation measure being proposed in San Francisco would outlaw the controversial but routine infant circumcision procedure, making it a misdemeanor to circumcise, excise, cut, or mutilate the genitals of a minor under 18, punishable with a fine of up to $1,000 or up to one year in jail. Infant circumcision is performed for traditional, aesthetic, and religious reasons, but there is no medical reason to necessitate circumcision. Private First Class Bradley Manning, the U.S. Army whistleblower who leaked the classified collateral murder video, as it's known, is still being held at a maximum security facility in Quantico, Virginia, while awaiting trial. The pretrial hearing is expected to take place in early 2011, followed by trial about four months later. Both hearings should be open to the public and media in the Washington, D.C. area. Supporters are encouraged to attend. If you are not familiar with the so-called collateral murder video, it was released on WikiLeaks and showed a U.S. gunship opening fire on and killing two Reuters journalists 
and several suspected armed Iraqi occupation resistors, and destroying an ambulance which also carried two children. A total of 11 people were killed. Dateline, New York City. Starbucks baristas across the United States, for the first time next year, will begin receiving a time and one-half holiday premium for working on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The move comes after a spirited three-year initiative of the IWW Starbucks Workers Union, SWU, which made public the company's second-class treatment of Dr. King's birthday and called on the coffee giant to pay the same premium that it pays workers on six other federal holidays. After Starbucks refused to change its policy, union workers and their supporters launched a determined campaign of grassroots action in Starbucks stores and communities all over the country in support of equal treatment for MLK Day. Starbucks union members say this is an especially emotional victory given that the SWU has long cited the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as a major inspiration. Dr. King, who was assassinated in Memphis while supporting the efforts of striking sanitation workers to form a union, was a staunch and outspoken defender of workers' rights, including the right to a living wage and the right to join a labor union. Quote, We're deeply moved to have been able in our modest way to increase respect for Dr. King's legacy while ensuring that Starbucks employees who work on his holiday are fairly compensated, said Anja Witek a Starbucks barista and SWU member in Minnesota. Quote, this is a great example of what baristas and all low-wage workers can achieve by getting organized and taking direct action in support of workplace justice issues. Close quote. While Starbucks claims to embrace diversity, it doggedly resisted the SWU's call for equal treatment of MLK Day for three years. The company based its refusal on the claim that its holiday policy was in line with the abysmally low standards of the food service sector. The Starbucks Workers Union made the case that Starbucks' commitment to diversity was illusory, citing the disproportionate number of workers of color in the lowest paid positions in the company and its intense exploitation of coffee farmers, including the Ethiopian workers who grow some of Starbucks' most expensive beans, but receive just 2.2% of the retail price. Quote, this is a great step forward and a moving victory, yet we're mindful that there is much work to be done to make Starbucks a living wage employer that offers reliable work hours and respects the right of workers to join the union, said Daniel Gross, a former Starbucks barista and Starbucks workers union member in New York City. Quote, we're thrilled to continue building the SWU and demonstrating just how compelling a model solidarity unionism is for fast food workers and all working people. Close quote. One final note of clarification on this story. The Starbucks Workers Union is a part of the IWW, which stands for the Industrial Workers of the World. And now on to world news. In the November 15th edition of the London Telegraph, London Mayor Boris Johnson warned former President George W. Bush that he may be arrested as a war criminal if Bush brings his book tour there, citing Bush's approval of torture. In his recent memoir, Bush admits to giving the go-ahead to use the torture method known as waterboarding, a form of physical and psychological torture that simulates drowning. Waterboarding has been deemed torture by numerous human rights agencies and governments. It has been associated with bone fractures, brain damage, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other psychological problems, and, de and even death from so-called dry drowning or actual drowning. 
John Sifton of Human Rights Watch has stated that it amounts to mock execution as the victim feels they are drowning and is therefore illegal under international law. In addition, waterboarding torture has been denounced as an unreliable method of extracting information as victims will say anything to stop the torture. In 2009, in response to a lawsuit by the ACLU, the government was forced to disclose a previously classified portion of a CIA memo written in 2006 which recounted how Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, an Al-Qaeda member, told the CIA that he made up stories to stop from being tortured. In January 2009, President Obama ostensibly banned the use of waterboarding torture, but it is speculated that this and other forms of torture still occur in the extraordinary renditions, which is to say the abduction and transfer of suspects to other nations with less stringent human rights laws. These extraordinary renditions have been kept in place under the Obama administration. A number of Canada Post employees in Winnipeg walked off the job on Monday, November 22nd to protest a change in the mail sorting procedure. Canada Post's website says the corporation is undergoing a quote-unquote postal transformation, with Winnipeg being the first location where new sorting equipment and delivery methods are being rolled out before the changes are implemented across the country. The new automated way results in postal carriers having to carry three bags along their routes which adds a great deal of weight and is causing many of the workers to suffer injuries or become physically exhausted. Under the old sorting method, done by hand, carriers ended up with two bundles because the sorters were able to combine flyers with mail destined for each house. A man who was sorting the mail the old way on Monday at the Wilkes Avenue facility was suspended, according to Bob Tyre, head of the Canadian Union of Postal Workers, Winnipeg Local. That prompted 40 other employees at the facility to walk out in solidarity. The Canada Post suspended him on the spot, and the other carriers decided that was the line in the sand and they left too, Tyre said. About 60 carriers at the downtown sorting plant then left their jobs for similar reasons, but only walked out for about a half hour, said Tyre. An anonymous postal worker commented, quote, As of now, there are about 140 workers on strike by my count. This is not a temporary work stoppage like the last Wildcats in Edmonton. Workers are packing their things and going home to spend time with their families. Everyone across the country is keeping in touch about this and watching Canada Post's next move closely. Close quote. On November 19th, over 170 students occupied the lecture theater in the Fulton Building at the University of Sussex in the UK in protest of the raising of tuition fees and other attacks on the education system. An earlier demonstration saw 52,000 people come out in opposition to the government's proposed cuts to education and the raising of fees. The students have occupied the building because they feel it is necessary for further action to consolidate the efforts made so far and push on in the opposition to these ideologically motivated cuts to both education specifically and public services as a whole. They have stated, We reject the notion that these cuts are necessary for the benefit of society. There are viable alternatives which are not being explored. While the government has suggested that we are all in this together, we completely reject this and are insulted that these cuts are being pushed through alongside reductions in corporate tax. We feel these cuts are targeting those who are most vulnerable in our society. Furthermore, not only are these cuts damaging our current education, but are changing the face of the education system as we know it. 
The hole in finances left by government cuts will inevitably be filled by private interest. This marketization of education will destroy the prospect of free and critical academic inquiry on which universities should be based. The trebling of tuition fees will further exclude another swath of society and make university accessible only to the rich. We reject the media manipulation of the occupation of Millbank. The cost of the damage to 30 Millbank is less than insignificant when set against the damage of lost livelihoods and destruction of public services for future generations. This occupation recognizes that Aaron Porter's statements condemning the demonstration are counterproductive and serve only to divide and segregate the movement. We are disappointed that, as a national representative of students, Aaron Porter's statements have detracted from the real issue at hand by focusing on the events at Millbank Tower. We believe that this Tory-led coalition government has no mandate for lifting the cap on tuition fees. Nick Clegg has openly manipulated student voters in his campaign for election, and following the recent exposure of plans to drop his pledge to reject any rise in tuition fees, this occupation condemns his dishonesty and undemocratic methods. Education is a right, not a privilege. The student's statement goes on to include these demands. We demand the University of Sussex management makes a statement condemning all cuts to higher education and rise in tuition fees. We are opposed to all cuts to public services. We oppose a rise in tuition fees. We call for solidarity and support for those arrested or victimized on Wednesday's demonstration. We stand in solidarity with others taking action, both nationally and internationally, in the fight against austerity measures. And we call for all other university, college, and school students and staff to strike and occupy in defense of the future of our education system and to participate in the National Day of Action on the 24th of November, 2010. In Islamabad, Pakistan, a man who says he lost his son and brother in an American missile attack in the Northwest threatened November 22nd to sue the CIA unless he receives compensation a move that will draw attention to civilian casualties in such strikes. Kareem Khan and his lawyers said they were seeking $500 million within two weeks, or they would sue CIA Director Leon Panetta, U.S. Defense Secretary Robert Gates, and a man they said was the CIA's station chief in Islamabad for, quote-unquote, wrongful death in a Pakistani court. The United States does not publicly admit to firing missiles into northwest Pakistan, close to the Afghan border, much less say who they are targeting or whether civilians are also being killed. Privately, officials say they are taking out al-Qaeda and Taliban militants and dispute accounts that innocents often die. Pakistani officials, who face criticism from their own people for allowing the attacks, rarely discuss them. Khan said his 18-year-old son, Zainola Khan, and his brother, Asif Iqbal, were killed on December 31st last year in the town of Mir Ali in North Waziristan. The third victim was a mason who was staying at the house, he said. Khan said his son and Iqbal were teachers. Quote, The people who were martyred were innocent, Khan told a media conference in Islamabad alongside his lawyer, Mirza Shahzad Akbar. Quote, they did not have links with any terrorist group, nor were they wanted, close quote. 
The Associated Press and other media organizations reported that three people were killed on December 31st in a missile attack in Mir Ali. Pakistani intelligence officials said that the men were militants but offered no proof. Khan, who was working as a journalist, was in Islamabad at the time of the attack. Any legal action stands no chance of success unless U.S. officials cooperate with the court, something highly unlikely given the secretive nature of the missile strike program. The most Khan and Akbar can hope for is to bring attention to the issue. There have been more than 100 such attacks this year, more than twice then in 2009. The attacks began in 2005, but picked up pace in 2007 and have increased ever since. The border region is out of bounds for non-locals, and much of it is under the control of militants, meaning independent reporting on who is being killed is nearly impossible. Most of the missiles are believed to be fired from unmanned planes launched from Afghanistan or from secret bases in Pakistan. Human rights groups have called on the United States to provide greater transparency about who is being targeted and publicly investigate allegations of civilian deaths. Without knowing, they say it is impossible to judge whether such attacks are legal. Across the border in Afghanistan, the American military compensates the families of innocents killed once it carries out an investigation. A group of up to 400 workers in Ghaziabad, India, allegedly used iron rods and heavy factory equipment to beat an auto company executive to death on November 15th, the Indian Express reports. Jojinder Chowdhury, an assistant general manager at auto parts manufacturer Allied Nippon, was reportedly eating lunch when he was attacked by hundreds of his employees, 400 people according to some accounts. He and two other senior managers had to be hospitalized and some members of the HR staff were also attacked. Workers reportedly attacked and chased the human resources staff and those on the board of directors in a suburb called Ghaziabad, which is near Delhi. The mob said they were protesting the layoffs of their former co-workers. In any case, the execs were armed to defend themselves. The management had guns on hand and fired into the air when the attack started. More from the Indian Express. The standoff began around 2.15 p.m. when the workers and the company management had a heated argument over the strike being planned by the workers on November 16th. Senior officers, including Chowdhury, went to meet the workers. Quote, after a heated discussion, the management tried to assert themselves and one of the officials fired in the air. This infuriated the workers, who then went on a rampage, manhandling the officers, close quote, said a senior police officer. It is reported that the police have sided with workers, saying that the officials who fired gunshots were the reason that employees, quote, already seething with anger after the labor commissioner's office declared their strike illegal, close quote, turned violent. So far, 10 have been arrested. Finally, some of the nine miners previously thought to have died in a shed explosion in mid-November in southwest China's Yunnan province were killed by gunshots, local police said on November 17th. Explosives at a shed at the Zhaosongdi coal mine were deliberately detonated at 9 a.m. Thursday when Zheng Chunyun, boss at the nearby Yujing coal mine, arrived with more than 80 people armed with knives and steel bars. Nine people were killed and 48 others injured in the incident. Most of the victims were with Zheng. Quote, Autopsy shows some of them were gunned down before the blast, said Lu Qingwei, head of the Public Security Bureau of Luji County, where the mine is located. 
The incident was apparently the result of a long-standing dispute between Zhang and Wang Zhangfu, the owner of the neighboring Zhaosongdi coal mine, who Zhang had accused of plundering his resources. Five people who were injured in the incident and were in critical condition are now stable. The police have detained Wang Ji-Yong-Fu, boss of the Zhaosongdi coal mine, Zhang Chunyun, and eight other suspects. That does it for this month's Lunk News Report. Please tune in every day at 12 a.m. or p.m. and 6 a.m. or p.m. for repeats. <laughs>